0: Hi, I'm Mike Townsend, UX Creative Director. I'm here with Rob Perry, CTO of Project 202. Happy to have you on the show, Rob. Thanks, it's good to be here. Let's go over what you talked about last time, uh, which was the subject of moving beyond agile. And you covered uh, more fully integrating design into agile teams and and driving research. So uh, recap that a little bit for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, I think there's been a lot of interest in
1: really agile more broadly. Um, Lately, you start to see some of the larger... Um traditionally, more slower moving organizations, even fully investing in these types of agile transformations. And what we've seen is uh, obviously that's that's a good thing, moving towards agility. Um, but what ends up getting lost sometimes is the fundamental idea of aiming before you fire. right? Agile is really good at at helping you make small incremental corrections to the direction that you're traveling in. But if you set off in the wrong direction in the first place, it's going to take you a long time to get all the way back to, to the true sort of productive direction um, that, that resonates in the market. So by starting with research, you're able to aim correctly, right, in, in, in a direction that you know is going to be productive, um, that you know resonates with people, because you went out and you talked to people and you observed people and you used behavioral science techniques to figure out what they actually wanted. So then you get this context and you don't want to lose it. And so to keep that context alive throughout the course of the development project, you want to make sure that that, that research and the design that's built on top of it, and really the, the practitioners of those respective crafts, are included in your, in your development teams as first-class members.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that context and, and how we would use that in practice. Sure. So, so the typical way
1: that we communicate with development teams to sort of tell them what it is that we want built, right, is through this, this vehicle of user stories. Right, we we write down. Somebody does right. It's the PM pretending to be B- a BA. Maybe it's a first class
0: BA. Something like somebody that. Somebody is adding some kind of uh, content for other people to consume.
1: Exactly, it, it gets written down, and and oftentimes that's that's all the developers have to go on. Right, they look at a couple of sentences. You know, as a user, I want to X so that I can Y, and I'm supposed to know everything there is to know about this problem right now. So you know, I think it's pretty obvious that that that's kind of a poor communication mechanism um, because there is all of this context. And, you know, when we were talking last time about research um, and design, that's really context about user goals, user needs, and aspirations. What do the people who are using the system actually want? And also, you know, as sometimes silly as it seems to sound, like... What stories do they tell themselves about themselves when they're using the system? Who who do they want to be? Not just what do they want to do, um, and these are things that obviously lead to more compelling experiences if you take them into account. But how do you, you know, how do you document some of that stuff in a user story? You know, a, as a user, I want to X so that I can Y because I feel Z about myself, like that's kind of a, a weird thing to, to write down, especially like in, in, in black and white. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. And, you know, so much of that has been already done by the researchers and the designers and they've taken lots of time to synthesize all this data they've collected. How do you re- refine all that stuff down into, yeah, one user story with some acceptance criteria? It's, it's hard to do.
1: Yeah, and so I think, you know, one one approach to that and something that, that we've taken um, and found productive is really to say, okay, that's not what Technically, user stories are four, right? User stories, just like features or just like pieces of software, like exist in a broader context, right? There's a background brief kind of thing. There's, you know, the rest of the system if you're talking about a development feature. But but fundamentally we say, okay, that there is broad, coarsely grained, maybe types of information about the user context, about the business context even and that's that's the other one that we'll talk about in a second that the development team needs to be familiar with
0: and dependencies also and exactly. and how other s- stories or features or or what have you relate to each other um, ones that might be even further down the line than what you can see at the current moment yeah
1: exactly and I think that's a really a really good point in that you know agile a lot of times likes to pretend that stories don't have any dependencies right but all that means is is that we end up just not writing down the dependencies between stories, it doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? So someone is holding that context in their head, just like they're trying to hold in their head, you know, users need to feel like they're mastering a complex skill when they're working with this or they're going to reject it because they need to feel powerful or something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then what happens is you have this context for the user that's in a, you know, a research findings document or it's materialized in a journey map that you've hung on the wall or personas that are based on objective observation rather than marketing story time, right? Where you just sort of make up little slices of people. And that becomes input to the development team as well. You know, where, where in the past they were just getting two sentences about, well, you know, we need to build this thing and that's your context for the project. It becomes this much deeper kind of understanding. So, so I think what you find in this case, right, is that's a different way of working. You know, if you're used to Um, And and whether you're used to it or or you've built a team that is used to getting handed what to do, right? Effectively being order takers. That requires a different skill set than saying, here is the admittedly rough definition of the problem that we want to solve and a bunch of context. You empowered, informed member of this dev team working with your peers, go solve this. And so to me, I think that's the that's the fundamental changing of the conversation that has to happen. Um, is ad- admitting okay to ourselves as business stakeholders that we don't have the entire problem defined or or the solution even? We have a hypothesis about both the solution and the problem. Right. So then we need to think about if we accept that as true, can we build a team that can help us fill in the gaps instead of building a team who is going to you know, execute my will commun- as communicated via ironclad user right. stories.
0: Right. Yeah. This team is really good at taking user stories and doing exactly what they say and, and producing the work from that, which means that all of the problem solving is on the shoulders of the people who are writing those user stories. And from what you were saying, those user stories are, are fundamentally flawed when it comes to adding that amount of backstory detail that you need. Yeah, and
1: and oftentimes the people writing the user stories are somewhat removed from both the users and the business context as well. So none of this is to say that those folks are doing a bad job or anything like that. They have certain inputs, they're producing certain outputs, but they only have some you know limited level of context in a lot of cases. Of course, so they're they're constrained about the job they can do. So thinking about these teams, it's really it's the it's the nav system driving you over the cliff thing. You know, if you're if you've built a team that like stares at the the gps and it says to turn left here we go and off the cliff you go um that's you know obviously that's not the kind of thing you want to do you want people who are thinking about wait a minute where am i trying to go and i also happen to know it's five o'clock and i'm in downtown austin okay so it's going to take me a lot longer to get where i was trying to go and maybe there's an alternate route i could take and i happen to know somebody who knows this back way thing and oh and p.s actually i'm going to get on a motorcycle because it's going to be faster or something, right? You want someone thinking about, you know, you as the stakeholder have said, you know, get to Dallas tonight, right? From Austin. And you haven't said, and turn left and turn right and turn left. We've got a team and we're sitting around thinking about what's the most effective way to do that given everything.
0: So how do you build a team like that? How do you build uh, the type of team that will do that problem solving? That will be more of a team that solves these problems instead of taking orders from just a user story or a business stakeholder.
1: Yeah, so I think some of it is, is setting out to build that kind of team in the first place. So you really have to be honest with yourself about what kind of organization you are and really what kind of team you're, you're looking for. Um, because if you set out and try to recruit a team of problem solvers and then you put them in an order taking kind of mode, they're gonna leave. They're not gonna be happy. And it might take them a while to realize why they're not gonna be happy, but they're not gonna be happy. So part of being able to support that kind of team, uh, which is incredibly efficient and effective, is creating an environment where they actually get to exercise those skills that you've selected for. And in some respects, that's the hard thing, right? A lot of times that, that's what involves letting go of control. You have to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I've got some good ideas. I think I've got some really well-founded hypotheses right? Cause I've got years of experience and judgment and a lot of business context in my head, but I don't know everything. And, and that's a hard realization sometimes.
0: Trust yeah. like that doesn't just happen overnight either. You know, I, how does that work? Does it start with, you know, one, two, three good team members that can start mentoring other team members? Yeah. So I think it,
1: it definitely builds on itself. Um, I think that the trust angle is a little bit interesting in that there's still in that, in that sort of line of questioning, this assumption that I'm going to have distance from the team, right? I need to be able to trust you as the team member because I don't know what you're doing, right? And I don't have any idea. Well, I think kind of what we talked about last time a little bit tries to knock that down too, right? It's not just user context that the development team needs. It's business context. And so breaking down those walls between business and development is important as well, right? I need to be a part as a business stakeholder. I need to be a a part of this agile team because I've got the business context, right? I can explain it to others, but it's in my head, right? That's my craft. Um, Just like the developer has a development craft and the designer has a designer craft. They're never gonna teach me enough to be a designer. But I can learn enough through interacting with them to understand relevant constraints and, and motivations and stuff like that. So when we actually collaborate, that's, that's how you build mutual trust, because right? I'm working with you every day. So it
0: seems like it's about removing the roadblocks of those knowledge gaps and being more integrated in the team so that everybody has that background that they need to be the problem solvers that you, know, um, you would want on that kind of agile team. Yeah, you have, to, you have to, you know, you can sort
1: of self-select for, for people who are biased in that direction in the first place, and then you need to arm them with the inputs that they need to be effective, and you need to give them the freedom that they need to actually solve problems. Um, and you do find it builds on itself, right? The, the more you do this, the more you have established a culture, right, of this kind of behavior, and so adding new people to it Effectively indoctrinates them into the way that you do things anyway, because that's just how it is. You know, you come in and you're the, the new person and you sit down and, um, and you just look around and you look at all these people like questioning each other and having these healthy dialogues. And you're like, oh, so so that's how it is around here, <laughs> right? And, um, and that's something that we do really well, I think. Um, but it's hard, right? C- culture is a hard thing. And... We talked about this a bit last time, but but I think it's one of the most important things as far as building effective teams. So you know, unfortunately, the the, the hard stuff is still hard. Sometimes like you have to do that, but the the rewards for getting it right are obviously huge.
0: So we've talked about design, development, um, and research. Is that it? Yes, yeah, so I think you know we, we've we've
1: talked about business a little bit here too, right? Making sure that business stakeholders are are actually involved in these teams. I, I think the other big one to definitely mention is is QA. Right. A lot of times, especially in um, organizations with existing development capability, QA is this big sort of waterfall stripe at the
0: end. Right. And often. Almost made it to the finish line. Uh, No, we have this whole other process you have to go through before we get there.
1: Yeah. And all these QA guys are just getting in the way of us shipping this thing and we're ready to go. Right. So uh, oftentimes they're the ones who get shortchanged too. Right. Development took a little longer. I guess we're just going to cut QA.
0: Yeah. And and that's a trickle down effect that it seems like on every project is research and design has all of this time to be so creative and figure out all these things and then development, you know, uh, that team does not get nearly enough time to build out what's supposed to happen. And then QA has a blink of a time to make sure that it's working right.
1: Yeah, everyone everyone's trying to, you know, kick it down the road and there's nothing after QA. That's right. No, no one ever says, well, I guess those users can wait a little longer. Right. So So obviously that's a mistake right but the trap with it right is it's a mistake that you don't immediately realize the cost of having made right you ship something without without doing proper qa um and maybe it's going to be fine right maybe you've got a really good culture of developer automated testing and so your development team has done some testing and maybe you even have good user validation integration like you've You've bought what we've said previously, and you've got designers and researchers integrated with your teams. And so, launch day is actually not the first time that users have seen your system. You've gone out and and you've done regular user validation, and it was built on a framework of a foundation of research in the first place. Well, the the, the trap here, right, is is that developers are developers; they're not QA folks. And if you're building anything non-trivial, something's going to break. Okay, that's that's just the reality of this. I, I happen to think I'm a pretty good developer, but I'll totally admit to writing stuff with bugs in
0: it. Like it happens. You're not a robot. You're not a machine. How yeah. could you not?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we could do a whole other cultural tangent about sort of acknowledging that. All right. And like, I'm just a dude. All right. You know, I got good days and bad days, just like everybody else. Guess what? Everybody in the team is like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that's, maybe that's podcast number three with me. We'll, we'll come back to that
0: one. You are not a robot. You are a human being. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
1: Um, so so then what happens right is you ship and there are bugs in it, right I don't care even if you have QA there are bugs in it there, there are just fewer of them and hopefully less severe ones, right um, but you ship and then and then something's gonna break and if you're lucky, it's something minor that's easily noticed um, but if you're not there could be sort of material impact to the business um but but I almost think just as bad right is a steady influx of even minor defects. Because then what happens is your development team spends more and more of its time remediating production issues. Um, There's a client I was at several years ago where they were doing this agile transformation. Um, we were helping um, bring mainframe folks into the you know, multi-tier web application world. So it was a difficult trans, um, transition for them. Um, a lot of education, a lot of you know, kind of starting small and, and building some things there so they got the ideas. But one of the biggest impediments was actually once or twice a week even, the whole team would say, eh, production issue, can't work on the new stuff today. And they'd have to go off and, and fix the outage that was in production because they had this, this legacy of of, um, of stuff to maintain. And, you know, there were two obvious effects of that. One is, of course, we failed to make progress on the new initiative. Uh, but the other was it, it took them out of their their flow state really of this new sort of highly effective way to build software and put them back into the old legacy mode because they had to go dig through that stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so that just as they were getting acclimated to kind of the the newer better way to do things they were getting yanked out of it so to me um and i, I guess to to complete the, the thought there um big shock they didn't really have formal recognition of qa as something that was important of course Right, they put it into staging and let some users do UAT on it, right, which usually meant that the users ignored it because they had day jobs, right? Right. So, so for us, this, this um, really close integration, it goes beyond just designers and researchers and, and, and business folks and includes QA as first class members of the team. And in the same way that we talked about, you know, that's not just, okay, guess what, you're on the team. Um, there's, a, there's a mutual respect element that has to go with that.
0: And they're included throughout the whole process. And, and they have to be in order to have that kind of context to be a good QA team, seems like.
1: Yeah. And, and fundamentally, when they speak, the rest of the team has to listen. In the same way that when the designer speaks or the researcher speaks, the rest of the team has to listen. Because you've assembled a team of problem solvers, right? Who you're recognizing for their experience and their input and their judgment as opposed to someone who's going to do what you say, right? And and traditionally QA has been the ultimate order taker, or you know, the, yeah, the ultimate order fulfiller, right? Is here's the acceptance criteria. Okay, automaton,
0: you know. Fail or pass, fail or pass.
1: Yeah, exactly, don't, I don't care about why, I don't, I don't want you to question, like why are you even doing this in the first place? No, 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 just run your script, you know? And, and in fact, I've got other people right now trying to automate what you do anyway, so we just kicked you off the team entirely. Um, you know, there, there's a different mindset and a different skill set with those folks and they bring value to the team. So that's important to, to include as well.
0: So you have your researchers, you have your designers, your developers, and your QA people, and they're all working harmoniously and they, uh, they're all integrated in the team. They're all problem solvers. Now, does that help your agile velocity?
1: Yeah. So velocity is a really interesting kind of idea to talk about because so if you think about it, it it's. It's a nice metric, right? It's, it's a really easy thing to measure. I estimated how hard it would be to build something. And then in some unit of time, I accomplished X, right? That's my velocity. So, you know, I think as, as business stakeholders, we are, we're sometimes led into this trap of the easily measurable. Maybe that's not what you should be measuring. And I think velocity is a good example of that. Yeah, so Velocity really just measures you know, how long it took me to execute what I estimated. But as a business stakeholder, what I really care about is, is value delivered, right? Business value, whatever that sort of amorphous concept is, right? Is it something that's going to increase my conversion or, or provide a more positive experience? That's the thing that I really care about. And so what Agile does is takes that entirely out of the metrics of the system, right? Somebody, the product owner, right, is making the judgment about the value of stories, and that affects prioritization. But what I'm measuring is how fast I can tear up the backlog. So if I really wanna know when will I have delivered sufficient value, I have to derive it, right, I have to back into it. I have to go look at the backlog and interpret it and say, okay, well, I feel like we will have done it after these 20 stories, and those 20 stories are estimated at this many points, and my velocity is here, and blah, 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 eight sprints, that's what I'm gonna get there. But but I think that's putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. And it may seem a little hand wavy, right? Cause I just sort of talked through the very simple equation you could follow to figure out when X amount of value would be delivered. Um, but to me, it's, it's what you emphasize and what you value. Right? if you're telling the team by measuring and tracking and reporting and putting charts up and stuff, that velocity is the important thing, that's what they're gonna internalize. Right is the important thing.
0: To me, it seems like the business would be most interested in how quickly you're shipping, right? So two things are important. You know, How much backlog do we have? How much is there that we need to ship? And how much is already shipped? Do you feel the same way about that being probably the most important measurement? Well,
1: so I think it's what's contained in what you're shipping, right? It's the value delivered to your users or to your business.
0: That's a good point.
1: Um, within each story and so it's it's subtle right so i think this is this is why there's a trap right because it's really easy to measure okay i estimated this at five points and it took a week to do right or you know i could do two of those in a sprint that's really easy to measure um and for all its its faults and and difficulties like estimates are easy to make even sort of relative ones right and it's easy to get better over time um Business value, whatever that term is, and I'm just picking one right now, like that's that's harder to to conceptualize. Like what is that? What unit do I even measure that in? Right. Th- there are a bunch of things under that umbrella, you know, X percent conversion increase, like we talked about, or something like that, or average order values, or you know, just picking some e-commerce things. Like I can measure those things, but how do I measure an individual user story? the effect that it has on one of those things. I, I can't directly. It's hard. And because it's hard to measure, I don't measure it. Right? That's sort of Agile's answer. And what's easy to measure, oh is, you know, points per sprint.
0: That's easy to measure.
1: So let's measure that. Let's make charts about it. And let's talk about it. And let's compare teams across the organizations and how they're doing on things.
0: So not to put you on the spot, but how do you measure a good agile team then?
1: Yeah. So so this is one of those like um the transition from tearing things down to building the new thing up is is a little bit difficult right and and maybe what i'm getting at here in the interim okay because i do think there is some some deeper insight to be had about a larger deviation from agile let's say to me it's it's context right and that's kind of a punt answer maybe um so what i'm saying is measuring velocity is probably inescapable at this point
0: because it's part of the agile process and that's and, what people are following.
1: And because it's easy to measure, right? And what I'm saying is don't measure this easy thing. You really should be thinking about this hard thing that I can't really tell you how to measure. That's that's in some respects not fair, right? So,
0: so it's okay to measure velocity. There's not me- a scaffold around that and there's not a methodology built around that. And that's kind of scary, right? But the truth is, is that as a team, you should be thinking about the most important thing for that team to be achieving And what you're saying is in a nutshell, it's probably not velocity. Right,
1: right. But, but you're still going to have to, you know, the tools are set up to measure those things and all of that. So just know what you're doing. That's all. And and in some respects, I I think that's all you have to do. You just have to make sure that you occasionally remind yourselves as team members that, Hey, velocity is not the important thing. It's a, it's a indicator. Right, but it's not the fundamental metric that we're running our business on, and I think you lose sight of that, especially the further you go down this path into sort of teams as order takers and stuff like that. Right, they've got stories that they have to deliver, and there's some manager walking around with the clipboard that shows their velocity, and that's that's how they figure out whether they're a good team or not. Um, that short circuits the entire business value conversation. It's just how many points, you know, can I ship um, per per sprint. Yeah.
0: How good can I get at estimating and, you know, am I a sandbagger or not? Like all all of that comes into play in that measurement of velocity, which is really not doing anything for team performance.
1: Yeah. And, and the more sort of dysfunctional your organization is, the more that stuff happens, right? If you've built a really kind of order takery culture and you have an empowered teams and they know that they're measured on velocity, the smart ones will figure out how to sandbag and how to artificially inflate velocity and how to make the metrics look like they're supposed to look Um, and to your detriment as a business. Right. So, so I think that's where, you know, really refocusing and thinking about business value is reinforced by that cultural thing, right? Because if your teams are problem solvers, they have the context that they need from the business and from the research and, and all of that. They're actually making business decisions they're fundamentally empowered to look out for what's going to be the most useful thing to build
0: yeah and this is probably for another time and and maybe we we strike this down as another topic to cover but i would like to one day go over you know some of the tools that research and design uses to better inform the business on what those most important things are to measure right using things like opportunity matrix and consolidated workflow diagrams and other ways of synthesizing data after you know, spending time with users and observing them, the whole team can get behind this user, Sally. She spends 10 to 12 hours a day at work because of these really bad business processes, which the software was built on. And we need to break down those business processes and rethink them. So the software we're building is is serving her and not just a bunch of process that didn't need to be there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and obviously that's something you know maybe that's a multi-person conversation we can have with that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think this stuff is you know it's hard to talk about things in isolation, right? And that's why I keep coming back to the culture thing so much, right? Because that's that's fundamentally what you want is if if I, you know, as a business stakeholder, give a hypothesis to a team and it's a bad idea, okay, I need to have the kind of organization built where the team will tell me that the team will come back and say hey wait a minute turns out this isn't i know this is what you think you want but but this isn't actually what we need what we need is x y and z and so i think for you know for folks out there who have their own development organizations who are thinking about these kind of things can you actually right now at this moment imagine your development teams coming back to you and telling you that and if you can't then then i think you're selling yourself short and your organization short Right, that's that's as as leaders, I think, what we need to try to build are, are teams that that will tell us when we're full of it. Right, that's really important because we're not going to be right all the time. And so, by assembling these multidisciplinary, um, true empowered teams, you kind of make up for those blind spots and those off days that that individuals are going to have. You get everybody looking out for each other, valuing each other's opinions, and you know, one obvious outcome of that, right, is overall efficiency um firstly from them telling you whether it's a bad idea to go off and do this thing you told them to do potentially saving hundreds of thousands of dollars on you know wasted spending building the wrong thing and and secondly because you know these folks are operating in a in an environment where they feel like their opinions are valued they've got um, support networks around them right with you know thinking about a developer they've got they know that qa has got their back they know that designers have armed them and researchers have armed them with the inputs that they need they're able just to work faster right they're they're focused on the correct thing they've been given um and have worked together to provide the right input so that's going to get you to the output faster
0: and everyone feels empowered to challenge each other in a respectful way so that um, you have that kind of checks and balances absolutely and, and it does wonders for for motivation fundamentally,
1: right? If you're sitting down knowing that if something occurs to you and you bring it up, it's going to be heard. It doesn't have to be listened to every time, but it was going to be heard and evaluated. That's really motivating. And I think especially if you contrast that with, again, sort of agile nomenclature kind of stuff like sprint, you know, we're going to sprint all the time. Someone's going to keep pointing you in the next direction to sprint to, and it's not your job to question, like that's demoralizing. Especially when you know that the thing that you're working on is not going to be of value <laughs> when it gets launched, right? So there's all these mutually reinforcing things, right? I know that my voice is going to be heard. I understand why I'm being asked to build what's in the backlog. And I have a way to, to correct it if I don't feel like it's, it's right. Um, I've got a channel to communicate to. I've got people who will listen to me and evaluate my ideas on its merits. That just makes me more interested in doing my job. Uh, and it makes me better at my job. So I think you combine all that, right, with um, that, that sort of soft cultural stuff, right? You combine it with really just some some fundamental things like, okay, QA is integrated. I'm going to have fewer defects, right? I'm going to have less remediation. I'm going to have less production outage, that kind of thing. Um, that's obviously an efficiency gain. Um, you know, there are things like that that say, okay, fine, well, this overall picture that's, that's coming into focus, like this is... Um, this is clearly better right? Than, than the way things have done before. And it's only because it's hard to build that sort of cultural um, reinforcement mechanism that more folks aren't doing this.
0: So this team of people, researchers, designers, developers, QA, right? we, we got everybody uh, the business side. They're challenging each other. They're working well together. Um, what are some other ways uh, that this builds efficiency? Yeah, when, when you can take
1: as a given, right that you've got this multidisciplinary team, it it frees you up to change sort of the inputs to and outputs from that team in in ways that that are more efficient. So for example, if I know that I've got developers on my team that understand and respect design and are familiar with design, that means I don't have to fully specify the design inputs. right I can do something like um, use a high fidelity wireframe and a style guide. Right. I don't have to do redlined comps for every single screen in the entire system.
0: You don't have to prepare your deliverable to be tossed over the fence to someone who has no context.
1: Exactly. Right? I can assume that not only are they going to have context, they are going to fundamentally be motivated to find out what I meant by what I'm communicating. Right? They're not following the the letter of the law, they're following the spirit of the law.
0: And if they see a mistake, they can reach out to the designer and say this i feel like this isn't right i'm challenging you here on did you make the right design decisions based on how we're developing this software
1: yeah or even just to validate intent like hey this seems like a little corner case in the wireframe and the component library i've got is this what you meant right so whether it's challenging or whether it's just clarifying you know you said reach out it's it's oftentimes literally like reach their arm out and touch the person who's next to them cuz they're on the team so if you think about you know the cost involved in making red line comps for every single screen you might want developed, um, versus just having your wireframe and your and your you know design language that you've in, uh, invested in. That's that's a huge return on productivity. Absolutely, and and I think that thread follows through. You know, if you if you understand that QA is on your team, and the team values and respects QA, and QA values and respects design, okay. Then what you're gonna have is a QA team who's actually capable of evaluating design fidelity. Because I think that's something we run into a lot with clients that have existing development organizations. They've got a QA team, and that QA team might be really, really good, Um, but they are good at executing test plans and they're good at evaluating whether the system works or not. But they may not be trained or understand what's important to check for visually. Or in a user experience context, um, it's because it's a learning process for developers to understand that you know when the visual designer says I want eight pixels of margin, they mean eight pixels. They don't mean seven. They don't mean nine. And it's different from having four. Developers had to learn that. Mm-hmm. QA has to learn that too. Yep. So so what you end up with with these in sprint folks who are who are similarly invested is they can actually evaluate the output. You know, they they can look at what the developer built and they can be that true second set of eyes and say, hey, you know, it doesn't look like you're using the approved style guide way to represent this control.
0: Which means catching mistakes quicker, faster at the beginning of them happening and not later on down the line where it's costly because it means redeveloping or redesigning something.
1: Absolutely. And, And it also means protecting this investment that you've made in user experience, right? Let's say you know, let's, let's say we're very compelling and we're talking and we sell you on the value of research and the value of design and you go off and you do these things and then you give this over to a development team and let's even just assume that they're kind of bought into this. Um, just like bugs are going to slip through, right? Defects in the application of the design are also going to slip through. And if there's no second set of eyes on those, those are going to make it into production. Um, and the, the downside there, right, is users might be able to tell you, hey, I clicked on a button and something broke. Okay, but they're very unlikely to call you up and say, you know, I got to this screen and all of a sudden I wasn't pleased with the interface anymore, right? Or I suddenly lost interest <laughs> in in working with your product anymore. They're not going to call you up and say that, right? Again, this is the what's hard to measure thing. Well, quality of user experience sometimes is hard to measure. That doesn't mean it's not important, right? It's very important.
0: We, we see it all the time. The, uh, the transfer of these design plans over to development teams and they're not doing it out of spite. They're just, I don't have enough time to maybe collaborate like I need to with the designers. I don't have enough knowledge to understand exactly what was supposed to be going on in these designs. So I'm going to do the best that I can to develop this the best way that gets shipped. The user uses it and they take it as a status quo if they like it or not. That's the way this is.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's hard to, it's partly because it's hard to vocalize. I, I think I think you're right to identify that it's not like malicious. Right, developers aren't sitting there going, ha, "Ha ha, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna compromise this design." It's just that they don't know, right? Or they're measured on the wrong things, right? I got velocity, right, and it doesn't say anything about velocity of, about you know the fidelity of the user experience that I'm going to deliver. And I know that QA doesn't know what that is, right, because it's a traditional waterfall. Waterfall QA organization and there's no step in the in the acceptance criteria that says does it match the comp um, and am I even equipped to evaluate whether it matches the comp right all these sort of difficult questions um, you just haven't built a system that reinforces the importance of you know delivering value to users as your ultimate goal so this is the many legged stool that we've kind of been talking about here right so so again you know if we're able to to fully incorporate QA not just into the team but into that environment of mutual respect and collaboration then you get those checks and balances that you need right QA understands the the design language right QA understands the intent of building what they're building and so they're equipped to to notice when things are going off the rails just like developers are and designers are you've got one more set of people who can say hey this this isn't right here or i noticed when we did this user validation session that people struggled with X and Y. And so I made sure that in my test plan, those types of things were included. And what we've built doesn't seem to me like it, like it fixes that issue. Hey guys, what's up? So so that's, you know, that's um, not just fewer, fewer defects coming back to you from the field, but just happier users and better return that way as well. So there's all these like mutual reinforcing things that, that just really lead to this kind of team being more productive, being more efficient um, than, a, let's say, a traditionally constructed um, type of team.
0: So, to to wrap this up, what one thought would you like to leave the listeners with when you're talking about these these integrated teams? What's what's the most important thing from all of this?
1: So, I think the most most important thing really is is the culture that you're building. Right, methodology is great. Methodology tells you how to proceed. It gives you some guidance, okay? But you're not going to be able to design a methodology that will make inefficient teams execute perfectly, right? It's a guide, right? It's a, it's a scaffolding. It's um, it's a foundation. There's a bunch of metaphors you could use for it, right? But it's, it's not um, something that you can feed any input into and get quality output, right? I, I think at its best, It's a tool to remind your talented teams of what they should be paying attention to. And and that starts with having the right team culture. And, you know, fortunately for us, who I feel like we've done a good job of that, right? It's hard to do, but you have to start early and you have to continually reinforce it. Um, For folks looking to make a transition, you can start small, um, but you have to really just be aware of the messages that you're sending. If you want an empowered team, you have to give them some power.
0: Always great having you in town, Rob. And uh, thanks for spending the time with me on this.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.